Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. If you could place a camera in any place of the ice viewing surface of the arena, Ray, where would it be? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Is we don't that know. our first, first in-show interruption? <laughs> none of us know. Absolutely none of us know what we're doing. You know what? If I could do a Harrison Ford, I'd just go, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go along, you know, old bit from Indiana Jones. Yeah. Just like, just like my parenting. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's everybody, right? I just figure this out as I wake up in the morning. So if you could place a camera anywhere in the arena. Now, my, my follow-up question was going to be, does it have to be a fixed location? No. So I loved, and I know this, is gonna, this would drive everyone crazy, while it, while it needs some tweaking, I loved the sort of um, follow-the-play chase cam they had at a couple of Winter Classics that was flying. Yeah, on, on the wired rig yeah. um, above, yeah. I've thought about that, too, and I, I'll share kind of my concept in a little bit, but I love that, too. I think Only, the yeah. issue with most cameramen or, or most cameras is people that are operating just move them too much. Well, and the, the, the people that are directing generally are also really so jumpy with they've got um, fixed cameras, like handheld somewhere else against the ice or something or against the ice, somewhere up against the glass or on the ice level, or they've got an alternative camera location. They just love to jump. Just everything is jump. You know, okay, the puck's moving out of this zone, quick, or out of the zone, quick, cut to the other camera that's got this different perspective on the zone, and I'm going, okay, great, now I can't see the guy that was trailing the play. You know, he's actually the important one. You know, generally the guy with the puck is only half as important as the guys without the puck. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that when they zoom in with the guy, on the guy with the puck and they, like, yeah. totally take out the rest of the... And there's stuff going on behind the play. And there's stuff going on around the puck carrier. But all you're looking at is the guy with the puck. And it's yeah. like, ugh, just, you're killing me with this. And and I know why they do it. It's, you know, it's the whole people follow, people need to follow the puck. No. 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 Didn't they read Wyshynski's book, Take Your Eye Off the Puck? Oh, I totally tell people, new new hockey fans, when they're trying to watch it on, on TV, I'm like, don't try to watch the puck. Pick a player and watch the player. Just watch the play. Just watch yeah. the players. I mean, you'll figure it out soon enough. Pretty much, yeah. Like, so you did, could stay focused on the front of the net and see 90% of the real action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's that's when the play is in front of the net though it's like if you're if you're neutral zone to like the tops of the circles on either side then that's that's not necessarily going to work but yeah but i um was it somebody was somebody was talking about how the um the popularity and growth of the um video gaming has has changed people's desire for how they look at at sports, not just hockey, but sports in general, because the way that the cameras are able to be placed in some of those. And like when you play EASHL or some online league, you tend to set a camera angle that would not be what you would see in the broadcast and you just get comfortable. And then the next thing you know, you can start seeing, you know, if, if you're playing, you start seeing the play develop around you from that camera angle. So if there was any way that you could replicate sort of that three quarter up, you know, behind the ice type camera. So where you're sort of following the play, but you can see, you know, everything in front of you, you know, you're sort of chasing the defenseman up the ice type thing. See, I would like to see, um, and it would be, you would have to hire the right person to do this. Otherwise, it would just totally be a huge fail. But 
I would like to see um, like a small drone with like a GoPro on it or something, something really little, and and follow players that way. <laughs> um, which is, I think, part of what they were trying to do with the whole um, ref helmet cams. Yeah, but I mean, higher up, you know, it's, uh, um, I mean, you could, you could string wires across the rink and do it that way, but, um, the inside of an arena is usually big enough that you have enough maneuverability for a really small, and it'd have to be small. It would have to have a small camera on it, but, um, but a, a really small drone and, and you'd have to have like a really good operator of the drone otherwise it would just be a disaster but oh, I, I think it would just be a disaster to begin with because there would be people like me and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this there would be people like me out there who would try and find the frequency <laughs> <laughs> you know and I'm not saying I would ever do it in a million years but uh-huh. I, I know there would be someone right? just to know if you can not that you will right well I mean they're FCC regulated, you know, remote control devices have to be operated in a certain, you know, there's a whole bunch of other crap that goes on top of that, but they're within a, they're within a band, you know, and well, yeah, I, I, well, and then you'd get fans complaining about it cause they're distracting and, and, you know, they obscure certain views and, and that and sort the, of thing. And the first time it rammed into someone, it'd be all over and done with. Yeah. Or the first They'd time. It'd be fun. I, I'm not saying it wouldn't be fun. <laughs> I know. But you know, the the drones that I have seen that are for production are are basically weapons. <laughs> yes. They are massive things because the camera rigs, and anything smaller, um, you can't load up with the necessary equipment to make it reliable. So. Well, I never uh, said it had to be reliable. <laughs> well, that okay, great. So that's uh, <laughs> be awesome though. You're just sort of out there, you're you're flying. You know, Connor McDavid's flying down the ice, and some guys tried to chase him on his horse. And next thing you know, the drone slides in, just sort of crash lands into the player that's chasing McDavid. Yeah. Sort of like some sort of weird Skynet, or there'd be somebody you know, again, like me. I'm putting air quotes, like me, who would be. You would get control of the drone and like ram it into Tuka Rask in Game Seven of the Cup Final to make or sure someone in a bar up. nearby, depending on on what the uh, the range is. <laughs> Seriously, you know that would be the best. It's like all of a sudden it goes rogue. <laughs> just, just someone sitting there casually at you know some bar. It's like yeah, I don't like this view. I'm gonna hack into this and I'm gonna. I know you hate the word hack. I'm gonna hack into this and I'm going to like. Go and watch for the way I want to watch. <laughs> uh, it'd be even better. I'd just start, you know, someone who's put, you know, $20,000 on the game, maybe, say, casually pulls out their iPhone in the middle of a bar somewhere and opens an app, and the next thing you know, there's a there's a drone that just magically crashed into, you know, some player on the bench and taken that guy out for the game. Oh, darn. I guess I'm going to win my bet, huh? Dang it. And then does a GM immediately give the drone a contract offer? Yes. Uh, depends on the team. <laughs> if, it, if it's if it's Edmonton, probably, and it'll be like seven years at eight and a half, eight million a year, because they need that kind of grit. <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing I think that complicates it for me with a drone idea is the scoreboards over center ice are getting larger and larger and larger. So the space they have to move around could be a bit limited. And I think it would be tough even to find 10 competent pilots and camera persons uh, just to work with national broadcasts, let alone, Mm -hmm. you know, ever attempting to branch this down to the regionals and to the local broadcasts. So you would have to start small. It would actually have to start at a you know a local broadcast before any of the major broadcasts would pick it up. Now, see, I'm just going for I'm I'm just playing into that team chaos thing, you know. <laughs> well, they didn't they use one at one of the Winter Classics. 
See, I mean, I think it's made for an outdoor event where there's nothing overhead. I know you can ask Chicago; they would know. Yeah, oh, uh, have what they the, played in a few. I want to say, I mean, I know they had the, I, I know they've had the chase camera on the wire, kind of like they do with football. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say they did it in one of the. I want to say they had a drone on one of the games. Probably. Damn. Okay. Away to the internet I go, because if only we had some sort of magical device that allowed you to look up information. Off to the Oracle of Google. So while you're looking that up, Patrick, we mentioned Chicago. We mentioned, you know, I mentioned big uh, video boards. I would like to see some sort of rig set up in the middle of one of these gigantic things that you see in Tampa and Colorado. One is coming to uh, the United Center next season. One's coming to PNC Arena in Raleigh. But there's enough space to have a cameraman operate where the physical camera actually would sit under them. And they look like they're in one of the uh, gun turrets from uh, the Millennium Falcon. Where they're just kind of moving around in a rig. Shooting from the center ice position for power plays. Man, primarily. Like the classic, the but then you would have ball turret. Yeah. But then you would have like, like the cameraman fighting over who got that play. <laughs> Oh, it, it's it's a one person job. It's uh, specialty. You have yeah, to have special skills. <laughs> it, it, it's like Pierre Maguire going in between the benches in oh five oh six, and then suddenly it's his invention. Yeah. I mean, it's just one member of the production crew. Um, no, I know, but I'm saying that like many on the production crew would want to be doing it. <laughs> So maybe they need to start doing a better job to earn that spot. Mm, maybe. And then, like Patrick said, the director will probably mess them up anyway. But oh god, yeah. Like we've seen the end zone on the power play where you're looking basically at the goalie's back, and you can see how the defense sets up. But I'd rather see it from the offensive position. Yeah, it, totally. I mean, I'd rather chase the play than have it in front of me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I I would rather see where the spots are being blocked by penalty killers rather than seeing, not seeing the puck at all on the video. So, okay. So I'd like both. Can I have both, please? Sure. All right. Why the hell not? I mean, a fan specific cam a la, you know, video games would be great. We're so, only looking at it from your team's point of view. So you mean like, oh, I don't know, maybe um, like they've got secondary audio programs that allow you to hear something in Spanish or another language. Maybe the NHL service provides you the ability to have a camera option as well, like they have with other sports. Oh, and not just flip between broadcast boring and broadcast boringer. Yeah. No, not. You know, I still want is. the option to turn off the broadcasters. Just give me ambient rink noise. Yeah, that's all I want. Yes. Or well, even mean... uncensored noise oh, from God. the ice level. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you'd I mean... hear a lot of that from the ambient noise. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say. Cause... Well, certain, certain things pick up better than others. Like when you're sitting 20 rows back, you hear more than you do, say five ten rows away depending upon mic position well but But they they tend to have glass or they tend to have mics positioned on the glass right around the arena so i mean because there are times that you know obviously you can hear clear as a bell um a a player um swearing i i was going to say expressing their disapproval in a in a Negative fashion. Uh, in a negative and, and derogatory fashion towards another player and or a f- official. So mm-hmm. that's funny you mentioned that. I was doing some light reading this week, and I w- it was reaffirmed to me by the NHL rulebook that it is illegal to use foul language and must be penalized at every instance. Now, um, <clears throat> So what you're telling me is the rule book isn't applied strictly? It's I a mean... guideline. <laughs> hmm. it, it's it's not it's not a rule, it's a guideline. So so officials are allowed to use what's the word I'm looking for? Their discretion. 
when when applying the rules? I'm I'm not sure that they're using discretion. I uh, there was <laughs> noise about Nikita Zaitsev of the Toronto Maple Leafs requesting a trade and how he is a terrible analytics player. His numbers just don't look that great. And it led me to say, you put him in the right team, I bet his numbers do a 180. And that's because hockey players are technically employees, and they have superiors, such as a coach or a general manager, who tell them what to do. Who, who specifically say, you need to do X, Y, and then Z, or else Sad. you're not getting off the bench. I I have to wait two weeks until I'm in the province of Canada before I'm allowed to say Zed. Um, <laughs> but conversely, NHL officials are probably what they're told to do on a game per game basis would probably boggle anyone's mind. Yeah, I was explaining that to my boss um, a couple days ago. He was talking about officials, and I'm like, yeah, they have a rough job because not only are they you know, they can't, they're, they're not as in good a condition as the players. So they're not necessarily always going to be where the play is happening, but two, they're being told after every single game, what they need to change, what they need to look for, what they need to stop like calling. And so, you know, on a game by a game basis, yeah, that's going to really like screw everybody over. They should be doing it at the end of every series. <laughs> yeah. Where I don't think most, I would say 90% of the time, the officials can make any call the rule book says. Oh, yeah. Based because oh. they're in the positions they need to be probably 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. But that extra 10%, it's, well, they could, but they've been, you know, explicitly told not to. We actually want to see less slashing calls on the hands because we just thought you did it too much in October and November of this past season. Because I'm sure that conversation happened with a select few who called it a lot. Who called it as they saw it rather than, you know, called it as it was suitable. Correct. And so, you know, when a player gets tripped and there are two guys standing in front of the referee between the aggrieved and, you know, his eyeballs, stuff's going to get let go. I won't say it was missed, just let go. I'm So I'm, it comes back to there was some discretion applied on whether that, you know, breached a specific rule in the book. Yeah. Because almost every rule in the rule book says, basically, the referee's discretion when making this penalty. Uh, Outside of the puck over, oh, no, can't use puck over glass. Oh, no, because that wasn't a discretionary call. They just flat out missed it. (laughs) Oh, Oops. in the first period. <laughs> well, not just that. They've, there has been a few that have been missed. Like, clear as a bell puck over glass that got missed. Yeah. Or somebody saw, you know, it was just the the attacking player was just in a position where it made it look like they got enough, their stick in the way, and it looked like it could have ramped off there. I mean, there are some that are kind of like that, but there were a couple that were clear as a bell that were just like, how do you not call that guess it's not as black and white as we all thought oh well oh well oh well Ref, yeah but... I mean you couldn't pay me enough in, I mean you couldn't pay me any any amount of money to actually be a, a on ice official all the abuse they take and everybody like going off on them after games and and yeah I just I feel really bad for those guys. I, I'm still waiting to see a non-Ron McLean-based either broadcast or or written journalist work some, work some you know, mid-level beer league game sometime this summer just to, you know. See how the other t- half lives? Yeah. Like, wear a, a GoPro or there's actually a helmet-specific cam out there that you can't stream from, but at least you can record kind of what's going on and then break down everything and just, 
I would, I'd be fascinated to see how the other half, because I know I have my biases towards the refs after all my years of, you know, working games at much, much, much lower levels. Yeah, I mean, we all do, to be honest with you. I mean, any those that think the refs are out to get them are, are lost. You know, there's no point in conversing with them because you'll never get them to change their mind, but... No ref is paid to, okay, you know, no, nobody who isn't in the NBA is getting paid to <laughs> influence the game one way or the other that we know of. There is no league mandate that says come down and screw Team X or screw Team Y. Um, well, I mean, if that were the case, then the Maple Leafs would get all the calls for them because the war room is in Air Canada Center. Yeah, you know, it's like bias towards the home team kind of thing. Yeah, but um, Ian Tullock actually wasn't Ian Tullock and a couple other people have come out and shown that it's basically the the process of game management is if I gave them that team one, I need to give the other team one. It drives me crazy. That just drives me so crazy. I mean, okay. So yeah. I'm the youngest of, of five girls, and fairness is very important to me <laughs> because of that. And and that's not fair. It's not fair. They're looking at it as power play opportunities that teams are getting instead of managing a game so players don't do certain things after a while. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're, e- equity doesn't yeah. mean equalness. That's or fairness. exactly what I was going to say. Is equity doesn't mean justice. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty startling chart, you know, by and large outside of, I think, Anaheim and maybe one other team, the for and against were, you know, pretty much straight lines on, on as far as equity, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, and announcers, it, it, like, talk about it all the time. They're like, oh, well, they'll get a, they'll get a makeup call here. I... So, you know, I've been watching enough hockey my entire life that I've seen it. You know, I've seen it clear as a bell. Four penalties go against one team. Everyone starts talking about after the third one. Well, you know, there's going to be a makeup call. Mm -hmm. You you know, everyone's going to be careful on this other team because you know what's coming next. You know, these guys are going to be looking out for you. And so you just are like, okay, here it comes. And then bang, bang. You know, one, if not the next two, are called to balance out. You know, or we got to make up. it comes in the third period. Yeah. And, like, you know, so, so the one team gets four penalties on them, another team gets one, and then in the third period, the team that got one gets three more. You know? Yeah, or if the game is close enough, you know, you know, the team that's trailing is the one you've penalized the most. You know that call we might have let go in the in the third period that was kind of iffy this other team we haven't been able to call for a penalty oh okay my arms up there's your one for this game you know 10 minutes left you gotta you're now on the power play you're one goal down you know we've we've given you three against this game now's your chance go get them crazy that'll that'll be really interesting to see you know again everything comes back to gambling and money That'll be really interesting to see if there's any systematic change to that. Because, I mean, you think about the stupid prop bets. Over-unders for penalties called against a certain team or a player or in a game. All of that kind of piddly crap is fair game now for bets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's also the impact of the game too, right? You know, well, and this is this is why the NHL is all like in the um, in the playoffs are all hand wringing with that. Oh, we don't want referees like deciding games. I'm so sick of that. The minute it's... they the minute they put on that uniform and step on the ice, they're impacting the game. Yeah. yeah. Officiating is reacting to events, and right. they're not it dictating the events. It should if... be. If yeah. they call well, if they don't call something or call something, they're impacting the game, regardless. Yeah. 
There, yep. there's, there's no in between. You know, prime example. <laughs> Did they call a trip on Bozak? No. St. Louis scored. <laughs> How did that not impact the game? <laughs> how would yep. it, that impacted the game directly? How did how did the missed call? You know, how did the the made up call on Cody Eakin impact that game? I mean, how did the missed call here not impact it? How did the missed headshot on on Johansson impact the game? They're the minute they step on the ice, they're impacting the game. If hockey isn't the best example of a butterfly of effect uh, sport, I don't know what is. <laughs> Seriously. Like, yeah. Th- those those specific instances that you called, something different happens in each one of those situations, but how different would the outcome actually be? Maybe 30% of the games, the outcome comes up different. Who knows? We don't know. And, we'll never yeah. know, but... No. You don't know that the Bruins will score on a power play because, you know, that entire game, their power play was pretty lethargic. Well, their entire uh, offense, yeah. Everything was lethargic that game for them until the last, like, 10 minutes, but yeah. Right. it's just... so, so maybe the result would have been a 2-0 game thanks to an empty netter at the end as opposed to the 2-1 or 3-1 final. I, for, yeah. I forget what it being. So, it... It honestly, in my opinion, just never really matters that much. I mean, you deal with what's in front of you. Yeah, but unfortunately, you still have Leaf fans complaining about the high stick that Gretzky had oh, back in '93. And Christ, they won't ever well, shut see, up about that. Like they would have gone on to win the cup. I mean, come on. If they would call the games in the way that they should in an ideal world, in that reactive way, somebody does something against the rules and they call it. Over time, that would change the game because then players would be, oh, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to get caught. If they were consistent about it and did it the way that they're supposed to do, like most fans think they should do, um, then that would change the game over time. But in doing it the way that the NHL does, it stagnates the game. Well, you say consistent. uh, I say, how do you make it consistent? Because the book, the rule book is consistent. Right. Its application well, uh, is inconsistent because there's discretion of the on-ice official. And from crew to crew, that's what drives people nuts. Right? It's, it's what's the standard for this game? If you change it, I mean, that's the biggest thing uh, throughout all of my time in this damn sport is the one thing everybody screams about is consistency within the game. Game to game, everyone's just sort of like, yeah, we'll write it off, you know. But if something's a penalty here, it better be a penalty in the second. It better be a penalty in the third. What's your standard for hooking? Okay, that's the level that everyone needs to meet this game type thing. So because the old, you know, if you called the book by the way it's written, there'd be a play every, there'd be a penalty every freaking 30 seconds. At first, but over time, I, it would it would be a totally different game because players would learn that okay, this really is going to be the way it's going to be called indefinitely, and so they would change their game so they wouldn't get penalized. But the first missed call. Well, yeah, right? I mean so nobody's perfect, right? Well, that's that's why I'm saying is the consistency of the book is consistency in application, and there can't be consistency in application with human reps. Did I just Cassie grenade? <laughs> I want to. I want to quibble. <laughs> I want to quibble with that. But I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I don't necessarily agree. I think that at some level, there would be there would be consistency at a certain level, which is still higher than where it is now. They tried that, but it wouldn't be perfect. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be perfect because they're human. So, you know. There, there are three things kind of working against this concept of consistency game to game or, or month to month. One is the league has no interest in changing or evolving. They just want to react to when something doesn't go their way. And when enough GMs complain, 
It catches the owner's ears, and that's when rule addendums, I'm not even going to call them changes, but addendums are added in. They just kind of add on to the rule instead of scrap it and rewrite things. Like when Rule 48 was instituted, they complete they took something, they took little things out of the rule book, but they re- wrote something completely new. Like when you go in person to a game and you see the amount of people complaining for interference, I'm astounded like 90% of the time because I, I don't think anyone could accurately explain what interference is. No. I'm sure 50% of players couldn't explain it. Coaches well, might be a little higher. Players couldn't explain it because nobody, the referees can't explain it. <laughs> well, well, the big thing about interference is it uses this language of impediment. It's not a matter of I'm stepping in your way. It's did you prevent someone from doing something Without by altering or changing your course of action? So a guy, a defenseman skating backwards in the neutral zone and a winger starts out at the offensive blue line and cuts or circles back um, towards his, uh, his fellow players looking for the puck and they run into each other. Technically, one player interfered with the other, but was anyone impeded? Did anyone change their course of action to directly stop this person, or were they just boneheads and run into each other? It's, it's, I, the, it's the difference between accidental contact and, and intentional contact. Of the so by calling the things by the rules, and like someone I used to officiate with a decade ago locally, in a 8U game, he would call every instance of that, because if, if a kid falls down, it must have been interference or roughing. And that's what I think lots of people are clamoring for when they don't realize how scary things will go the other way. Two, I think the, the big thing is officials need to be in more fixed locations. There's just too much skating in today's game for them to see things from the same angle, especially for the referees. It's constantly changing. And once upon a time, I would say, I think the lack of skating or the lack of movement would hurt your ability to read or see all plays. But I, I now think if you were to keep both officials kind of stay one in the neutral zone and then one off the ice in an elevated position, I think it'd be much easier. But because they're constantly moving, because they basically have to get out of the way of players that forecheck, Especially in this series, the amount the officials on the goal line have to move because of St. Louis's forecheck, it impacts their ability to see plays or be in the right position. And then three is Colin Campbell. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I'm going to name names. Uh, until he is removed as vice president of operations for the league, things will never change or evolve the way they need to. So... I'll leave it at that. Damn. I agree. I agree that they should be they should be uh, fixed positions for the officials. Um, I think that that would help a lot with just general like play calling um, or penalty calling. But yeah, that that I think is a is a great idea, especially since, like I've said, you know the the officials aren't in the same physical condition as the players. And so instead of trying to play catch up half the time, they'll already be there to make the call. Yeah. And then we just grow accustomed to official will be here in this, in this point. Like when players complain about linesmen getting in the way of pucks, well, they move 10 to 20 feet at most, you know, they're always going to be positioned along the boards so it's kind of on you not to look up and see, oh, this guy is here. Let me try not to hit him. Or else the puck bounces back in the offensive zone and we're boned on a two-on-one against. So. Yeah, it helps the players too because then they know who to avoid and where. And I think we're reaching a point where you can no longer have a game where two people in charge 
of starting and stopping plays can't call penalties. Like, once upon a time, I was told in officiating clinics, the two most important jobs for officials, and this is coming from people that are working at youth leagues and men's leagues where there are only two officials on the ice, and they call everything from offsides to goals. Those are the more important things than the penalties, calling offsides and goals. Well, given we're in a replay world, calling a referee's job of calling goals is kind of pointless. We could have somebody looking at a monitor and just turn on the goal light firm off the ice to do that. And then offsides is a whole other can of worms, but having all officials on the ice, having equitable ability to call what they see would solve a lot of issues for the NHL, but they'll never do it. Hmm. You'll never move to, let's say, a three official system where, all right, one one is still positioned along the goal line, and then two others are in the neutral zone on opposite sides of the boards or opposite sides of the ice, but they can all call things as they see necessary. I'm going to continue to turn on this because I go back and forth on this whole thing. And the reason I say I do that is because technically today, linesmen have the ability to call certain penalties. Right? Too many men on the ice and certain infractions for majors. Do we need to open the can of worms that allows them to call more? Because now who's... So, I don't want to say overloading, but you're kind of overloading them when their jobs are fairly well clearly defined. Right? Offsides, icing, you know, illegal changes, kind of sub-management to the officials' management who don't call those things outside of majors. So there is a little overlap in the Venn diagram of responsibility. I think the further you close or the further you bring those two together, or the closer you bring those two together, I think law of unintended consequences is going to come and bite us. I think it goes the other way. I don't think we'll that... get a better standard of officiating. I think it'll actually degrade. Well, that presumes we keep offsides and icing. I don't think I don't think there's a way we can get around it. I mean they're not going to get rid of it. They're they're I mean, you know, they're setting up the whole they have the coaches challenge and they have video review and and they have all these things already in place and the NHL if nothing else, the more that they do something, the less they want to get rid of it, you know? So I don't think that's going to happen. No doesn't mean they shouldn't try it out or god forbid we have a developmental league where they can test some wacky or crazy things in the summer but well you know the other way that you could get around it too is um you can divvy up responsibility by location on the ice if you're going to have on ice officials in certain places at all times or most times then it would only make sense for those on ice officials to make certain calls in those places. But if they're also given the latitude, well, I'm not, my position, these should be my points of emphasis or focus. But if I can clearly see something that you're, you've missed down to the corner, then I should kind of be able to call it. Like the, the elbow on Marcus Johansson. One of the linesmen had to see that clear as day. I don't think it was a penalty. It should have been called, but I don't think it was a five-minute major based on the NHL rulebook. So they're kind of they're stuck sitting on their hands. But unless the officials are all given equal ability to call everything as they see necessary and then have an agreement amongst them, well, when I'm in this position, this is what I should be— these are the areas I should be focused on because the worst thing you want is to have crews where a linesman is kind of undercutting a referee 
because these guys have egos just like coaches, just like GMs. And good officials will probably get run out of the league because of it. But by putting them on an equal grounds, and I'm not saying I like this idea because personally I liked being the single referee in a three-man system or a three-person system, but it's just not feasible in the NHL anymore. So I don't know if there is a clear solution without major overhauling. And are we, you know, I keep coming back to this. Are we really at a point that it's that bad that we need major overhauling? Uh, look at the Stanley Cup final. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> because it, I, it's there's I know, that's always a an aberration. Instance. Yeah, I know. You know, I don't. I, think I don't go ahead, Pat. Sorry. I look at the final and I say, man, is that entertaining? Wow, is there drama? Is it great for everybody on the ice? No. Has anyone in this series been absolutely jobbed by, you know, a hand pass to end the game? No. So if we're, if I'm looking at just the final, I don't think there's much room to change. But that's the appetite everyone has. But what they're changing is going to take things too far the other way. And see, that's it's it's the Matt Duchesne over offside all over again, right? Trying to fix the simple issue will cause well, trying trying to fix the one time the humans really made an egregious mistake, the one time. I mean, uh, yes, there have been other instances throughout history, as as I'm sure Flyers fans will sit there and scream Leon Steckel at me repeatedly um uh, yeah you know what the hell were they going to do there the confetti had already been shot um i just uh, god this drives me nuts because we sit here in these scenarios and and to your point pat it's um the nhl reacts more than it's proactive and be damned when they react, they're gonna re they're gonna react. Invite, oh, and they're going you know, to to these finals. Yeah, they're gonna do it. React. Mm-hmm. So I I I hope I would you know I'm just kind of like I'm sitting here screaming in my head internally right now. God, please, please, someone, someone there say whoa whoa whoa. Let's tweak what we've got and not. <clears throat> not sit here and go completely bonkers overboard and do all this crap. But I have the weirdest feeling they just won't because this is the NHL. Yeah, they're going to. They're going to. Bettman's already, like, suggested it. He he hasn't come right out and said that, that oh, yeah, we're going to do all kinds of crazy things. But he has said that, you know, we're going to review a few things and maybe we'll make some changes in the offseason, you know, the, the Bettman speak for um we're gonna uh, upend this and see what comes out have fun enjoy there's there's nothing there's nothing better than the law of unintended consequences like the lawyer in him i loved how he kind of said basically there's no going back on video review for offsides Mm -hmm. when i think everyone and even himself can agree that it's not working it's it's just causing more issues than it solves. But man, would it be nice to have someone that felt like he had the latitude over the hockey bed to just say, you guys are all idiots. We're going back. We're getting rid of this. Cause you, you guys can't be trusted with yourselves. Just like when the next CBA comes out and you know, this round it's been the signing bonuses for players. Well, what's the next loophole that GMs kind of latch on to that, you know, violates the spirit of CBA, but causes more issues and creates that next cause for the league to, you know, have a hill to die on, but they really won't. They'll just wait till the plot on their, on their uh, graph says, all right, this is the most time we can afford to miss and while still maximizing our return. <laughs> Do I sound put upon? Because <laughs> you sound like someone who's driving in circles. 
Yeah, that's kind of the way I think this goddamn league is going. <laughs> well, it, it is. I mean, the league isn't to thank for the offensive flourish we're seeing out of the latest generations now. It's the leagues below them. It's in part by USA Hockey and Hockey Canada, you know, while the NHL sat out a year to, all right, here's a new standard of emphasis. We're actually going to enforce what we've written. They never wrote new rules, but a generation of players has now come into the league that grew up where, you know, the, the mid to early 2000s hockey was legal. They never played in the game that way. So it's only natural that the league kind of evolved into it. Like, I heard the discussions since Chara, you know, allegedly broke his jaw, according to certain reports, that when's the day where visors are going to be mandatory? Or when's the day that full cages will be mandatory? And it won't happen until it happens in junior hockey first. Because then here's a whole generation of players up until the time they are 18 years old have to wear a full cage. Those that go off to play NCAA or maybe Canadian University, I'm not sure, have full cages. It's only when they play major junior or overseas that they take them off. And so I would say to you, outside of the CHL... I can't think of another league that doesn't require them up until the age of 18. Or, I mean, in some cases, after the age of 18. So if the CHL made that change, how quickly would a PA sign off on just mandating them for insurance purposes? Because I'm still shocked insurance rates for the league, don't kind of force their hand on this. Yeah, but at 18, what do you become universally, right? I mean, are you able to be claimed on your parents' taxes at 18? <laughs> well, technically, but... Yeah, yeah, but, you know, are you, are, are you treated as a dependent, you know, the legal rights are enabled for an individual at the age of 18. But also, what about workplace safety standards? Mm, well, like do construction workers on, you know, construction sites, I'm not talking about, you know, home construction, but if you're building a building, are you required on site to wear a hard hat or aren't you? You're required to wear the safety equipment that's deemed necessary by that industry, right? Mm -hmm. And with child labor, which is why they have to wear them until they're 18, right? Because they're considered minors. Um at the age of 18, you're no longer a minor, and you know the the minimum required equipment for this particular industry happens to be a helmet and a visor. And there's no forcing function. I mean, there's been nothing forcing the insurance rates to skyrocket on these guys because the actuary. Ta- I'm gonna. Uh, God, Jesus, stop me! Because my wife works in insurance, so unfortunately. I play this game with her about other about other industries, and she just walks me through the entire industry. And I go, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, that's what I kind of have to do. You know, it's sort of like there's no forcing function. I'm not saying the rates don't go up, but mm, it's kind of also a team thing, right? It's part of to circling way the hell back around to a point that was brought up earlier is there independent contractors not really employees and, and there is certain you're insurance talking, you're talking about a league bottom line you're talking about a league that players are using $300 sticks that break every two games i don't think they really care <laughs> well it's that's that's another I mean, side I know. of it, but it's but it's yeah. more of a case of you know where's where's the forcing function because there's there's already sort of that built-in union contract of of expectation, right, for medical care and and rehabilitation. As a free agent, if I am a UFA and not signed to a team and I need surgery, who pays for it, right? Whereas if I am a signed player, even though the season's ended, um. And my my UFA doesn't start technically until you know what is it midnight on the thirty or on 
January or July 1st and I need a surgery, who pays for it? Well, the team, right? Eric Carlson's a prime example. You know, he's a UFA. He's not signed an extension or contract to this day, but when it had groin surgery, well, it was taken care of by the Sharks medical staff. And likely that's covered as part of his contract because his contract exists until the 1st of July. So I don't know. You know, that's, I don't, I don't know. It's almost like a sport ticket or a concert ticket, right? There's always that disclaimer on there. You assume some liability for this and this and this and this and this happening. And until there's a forcing function, and I, and I hate bringing this up because it's a god-awful example, but Brittany in, in, in Columbus, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that unimaginable tragedy, we end up with nets. And, that, you know, again, everything, everything comes back around to this. Again, Pat, like you said, it's a reactive league. And tellers of the tellers of forcing function, that's not going to happen. And and nothing that we've seen in my life of watching hockey since when it was still in black and white, um, <laughs> w- you know, I would I would call as a forcing function. Zdeno Chara, six foot nine, broke his jaw. I've seen Ian LaPerriere and Jeremy Roenick take mm-hmm. pucks to the faces. I've seen you know, and number of other people. I've seen I. You know, I did not see live, but I saw the highlights of the Clint Balarchuk thing, you know, where there, <laughs> nothing's been a forcing function for a lot of this stuff. Players adopt it for their own personal reasons, and some do and some don't. You know, um, back to Eric Carlson again with the Matt Cook in the skate where it sliced his Achilles. You know, and there was a whole scream, why aren't players required to wear the, or this, or why aren't they doing it? How many of them started wearing those Kevlar socks? I don't know. So, yeah, I think the entire culture is reactive, Pat. <laughs> and in full disclosure, I'm a guy that finally put a full cage back on uh, uh, about 12 months ago. And I'll say I absolutely prefer skating and a visor. Um, but... Play just got to the point where I don't trust the people around me enough not to hit me in the face. So I'll, I'll just, you know, bite the bullet and wear the fishbowl. And I think that also lends something to it, too, is I'm not going to say they implicitly trust each other, but there is sort of a. I don't know, there's also there's always that, you know, code. You know, you you know what I'm saying, though, right? There's, there's yeah, I do, I do, but of, but the the there's a they'll kill each other in a heartbeat, but there's, there's a certain there's, level of respect that that is I'm not intentionally out to hurt you, but even though I kind the, of am, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's one of those like um. I won't hurt you if you won't hurt me. <laughs> no, it's it's. I agree to these terms until you do something to that directly affects affects me. It's like, it's yeah. It's a it's a tenuous relationship. Yeah, beer league. It's we all have to go to work the next day, um, except for on Saturdays for a lot of people who can afford to play in uh, you know a stupidly expensive sport. But it's just like. I'm not looking to hurt anybody. I'm not looking to do anything stupid. So, you know, I always check in on a guy when we bump because, you know, half the guys I've played against have never played contact hockey, so they don't know how to absorb a hit. Whereas I kind of do, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, worried when a guy, you know, doesn't know how to stop on a dime and runs into me. As long as you don't high stick me, I'm usually fine with things because that's the one thing you can control unless you're falling on your ass is keep your stick down. Yeah. It's the same way with me and, and racing because I did a lot of racing SCCA level racing. And, and every time I got on the track with guys who I knew were at my level, if not above, there's that implied trust. I know he's not going to do anything intentionally, you know, you get the guys with the red mist every once in a while who will maybe give you a nudge or something to sort of, you know, let them let you know that you're in their way. But by and large, no one's going to come up and, you know, take my rear quarter panel out and put me into the, you know, put me off into the wall. 
It's just, always the up and comers that you just don't know what to expect. Yeah. It's People just... who don't necessarily know the rules or they learned the rules in a different way or, or they don't know the propriety of the league or the, the group that they're with or yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't, they don't have the skill. Yet. Yeah. They have so, well, not just that... the skill, but it's also knowledge. It's also knowing, it's also having an idea of what to anticipate from the group that you're with. And if you're new to a group, you have no idea and they have no idea about you. Yeah. And that's where I, I go back to, I have a real understanding of why they, they don't like hitting at the youth level. But I also think that to, to kind of what you were saying, Pat is they've never grown up playing contact hockey. And, and that's going to be a, a problem next decade. Yeah. If for, you the, don't, for the NHL. Well, we're already seeing it to be honest with you. We're already seeing it. These kids, are, and, and I'm not, oh, Jesus Christ, this is going to open up a whole different can of worms, and I know there are going to be people screaming at us. But <laughs> knowing how to take a hit is one thing. Knowing how not to put yourself in a position to hurt when getting, when taking a hit is completely a different thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I know I've tweeted this, and I know, you know, Pat and I agree, but the freaking mechanic of these kids coming in today reaching forward bending at the waist reaching forward and putting their heads at elbow height to get their stick out far enough to attempt to reach a puck is driving me nuts the one that drives me crazy are the guys who take a a really hard hit and then come up swinging that drives me crazy because it's like that was a clean hit yeah, it was hard, but yeah. understand that he wasn't trying to hurt you. He just checked you. Deal with it. It's hockey. You, yeah. It's like, and don't, it wasn't a penalty. Don't try yeah. swing, taking his head or, off. Here's what you do. You throw the puck at his feet sometime or make sure he gets the puck and then you line him up and do it right back. Like, yeah. it, as, stupid as, as stupid as an eye for an eye mentality is, there are ways to just hit him back and then you... Your personal ego says, "All right, we're square." But yeah. No, the thing is, is they don't not understand the difference between right. a clean but hard hit and someone trying to take a, you know, trying to I, hurt them. I don't think they uh, see it uh, without without getting into the whole, you know, psychology of it. I'm not so sure it's it's all that as it is. Those types of hits are so far and few between these days that they that that triggers that. Well, he must have hit him for that, and you know, for the purpose of trying to hurt him. Yeah. It, it's and a combination it, of that and the hockey ladder is so thin at the top that these kids have been brought up and put on elite teams, but the the gap between their ability to play and their opponents until they're in their early twenties. Is ridiculous. So they're never in a situation to get hit. Too. In some cases, and, and, and you know, again, it kind of goal goes back to if you're, they didn't grow up getting popped like that, clean or not, they just didn't. Whether it's because their skill levels are are that are disparate to where you know, catch me if you can and you can't, or the leagues were such, you know, especially like the European leagues where they were on the bigger ice. Good luck finding a hit out there. I mean, there's different kinds of mugging going on in those European leagues, but good luck finding a good, clean, open ice hit. They just don't know what it is. Right. And I can understand that with, like, hip checks, because there's still a couple of guys that will do hip checks. Oh, gotcha. And and they have no idea what a hip check is, and so they come up swinging after they get hit, thinking this guy was trying to take out my knee. Oh, gotcha. and, you know, because it's not a totally lost skill, but there are very few guys in the NHL who know how to throw a hip check. These days, yeah. I mean, the, the Rob Blake butt was, you know, God, that was one of the best things. Scott I loved Stevens? About. Yeah. Uh, Rob Blake, I think, was probably one of the best I saw at, at timing and laying it out from his time, especially the late late in his L.A. Kings and just sort of early avalanche before he started getting a little old god that guy could just pop you with a good one yeah he had back problems so that's why he hit people yeah. that way because yep. he tried lining him up normally he would like screw up his back yeah i mean i do miss those blake rear those blake butt checks as we used to call them the blake butt 
but yeah, you know, there's certain hits of just you used to see them regularly. You're right. I mean, you used to see that that hit happen a lot more often. Yeah, and know? guys would like they knew how to t- take it. They would spin over the guy's hip, and then they would pop back up and keep skating. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, damn, okay, I just need to find out where the puck is. And now it's, they come up swinging going, how dare you try to take out my knee? And it's like, well, he actually wasn't, because if he was trying to take out your knee, you would not be standing up right now. But, yeah. <sighs> okay. <laughs> if I, I really wish I could do better impressions of certain characters, and one of them would be Kip Croker from Futurama with his... <sighs> that exasperated <laughs> sigh because that's kind of where I'm at with oh, this goddamn league. Making me wait this many days between games is really another thing that's annoying. I swear they were just afraid that the, that the, the final would end too soon and there'd be too much of a gap and they were freaking out that there'd be too much of a gap between this and the award show and no one would be interested in watching the award show so we need to like string out the stanley cup final for as long as possible then people will still have hockey on their brain just in time for the award show i swear to god that was the thinking no they're just too afraid of every other sport there's that too (laughs) you know oh we can't we can't risk running into the nba final you know they're just oh god timid Seriously. Yeah, there's no reason for them not to to go tonight other than the the Belmont Stakes. Yeah. Preempting a, a three hour pregame show, perhaps. <laughs> for for a sport that prides itself on this sort of machismo, and not just in the men's, but you know, even you know, the 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 fierceness, the the tenacity, the 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 fearlessness and bravado of these players. The league itself really is a bunch of Frady cats. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. And they're just, just afraid to admit they're too niche to that. They won't get a better the, number than they're going to get anyway. That's not going to have any impact on their number. <laughs> no. No, if, they, I, if you admit you're so niche, you aren't going to grow it by, by avoiding everyone. <laughs> Because you know, I was thinking about this. Was that was that if there was a woman running the league, she'd be looking around, going, "Oh, going up against the NBA final? Okay, let's do this. Let's see who's really got the like uh, got the fan base going." You know, <laughs> it'd be a challenge that she'd welcome. Instead, you have you have the NHL going, you know, clutching their pearls. <laughs> Oh no no we can't we can't do this this will be awful. We might lose one extra person, one extra household, which represents what a hundred people I think. And oh by the way, we can get into the whole thing about how archaic the ratings model is, but because yeah, how many people half, stream versus well, and when half your you know or when potentially half your audience is in another country where their ratings don't count. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm just happy the NHL Network is not going to tape delay a potential uh, series clincher in the AHL tonight like they did earlier in their series. Oh, my God. Whoever okay. does NHL Network programming. The NHL now. The NHL. It used, they, to, be, it used to be partnered with TSN, but it's all NHL now. It it makes me sad inside. What? I have. Are, are you the only one, Pat, who's not let out at that exasperated sigh so far this episode? <laughs> Pretty much, but okay. you, I, I the, refer to it as a long-suffering sigh. But that's, okay, that's that works. Yeah, yeah I yeah. like that too. Um, we haven't hit any of my specific hockey triggers yet. So. Okay. Well, now see, this is going to going to become a game because we're going to try and find those triggers. <laughs> Good luck next episode, but because it's, it's it'll be it'll be like I have a bad feeling about this in Star Wars. Every character has to say it at least once. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of championship trophies and insurance, dun dun dun. Did everyone read or hear the full story on the ECHL's Kelly Cup? 
I, Whose side I, are you taking on this one? <laughs> I have not dug into the retort or the story that I just saw where they, there's like some million dollar claim or um, discussion between the two of them. So please. So I'm going to mute and sit back. <laughs> I, I will send you both the full story after this, but long story short. Team felt shorted by the league based on money withheld at particular times did not align with how a team exits the league. And the league refutes all of that. So someone is being petty one way or another. And, uh, you know, the team has the uh, trophy sitting in their office. So my question, I think, to wrap up this episode is... What is the most petty story you could think of that a team should have that they should have held on to the Stanley Cup instead of return it to the Hockey Hall of Fame the following fall? Oh, you mean like some whatever? What's the pettiest dispute? Yeah, what's some revisionist? Yeah, what's some revisionist history that we could have some fun with? (sighs) Okay. I'm writing it down because if I don't, I'll forget it because I have the memory of a squirrel right now. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3 Podcast. This has been the 3v3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody. <laughs>